Before we begin, I promise that this will not be the most depressing thing you've ever heard. And now that that's out of the way, I'm Bryce Klein, I'm 26, and both my parents are dead. My mom, Robbie, died a year and a half ago after a one-year stint with metastatic breast cancer. My dad, Paul, died three months ago after a six-year dance with esophageal cancer. Normally, this show will be me talking with a guest about their experience with death and dying, but because this is the first episode, and because I like the sound of my own voice, I'm going to ramble for about 20 minutes and hopefully say something interesting. My mom, Robbie loved Bruce Springsteen. Perhaps more than me. She loved running and hiking and the Sunday Times crossword puzzle. She had an unparalleled energy and warmth, which meant she had the ability to learn anyone's life story within minutes. During one of our visits to her oncologist, she had a new nurse checking her in. Now, all I really wanted to do during this time was sit in silence and do my best to manage the creeping thoughts of my mother's impending death. Robbie, however, had other ideas. In what was no more than five minutes, she had learned not only the nurse's name, her husband's name, and how many kids they had, but where they went to school, that her son Anthony was struggling in his eighth grade math class, but excelling in the after-school volunteering he did, and that her daughter Hannah's favorite snack at lunch was fruit roll-ups. But for some reason, Target was out of them this week, and it was quite the predicament. Much to my dismay, My mother's ability to get to know someone really knew no bounds. My father was equally extroverted. Except where my mom had ears, my dad had opinions. And he was damn sure to let you know them. I learned what a blowjob was at about age eight, because Paul yelled out to a honking car, Your horn blows, how about your mother? It is not a phrase I'm proud, he said, nor is it one I repeat. But alas, his outspoken nature also made him a phenomenal advocate. Once cheering so loudly at one of my volleyball games, he broke the band of a thick gold ring by hitting it against the wooden bleachers. He gave the best hugs and had a way of making a shitty pun out of anything. My parents divorced when I was two. My mom remarried, then divorced again. My dad remarried and stayed. I have two older siblings from a previous marriage of my dad's, and was the only child to my mother. She died without a partner, which left me as her primary caregiver. I'll note that we were fortunate enough to get her actual caregivers, which saved me from having to change her out of her diaper, but still left me in a role of trying to support her emotionally and logistically while still doing the same for myself. Depending on how you count, in the one and a half to six and a half years I've been dealing with death, I've learned a lot about it. In particular, that we are really, really bad at talking about it. It's this awkward, messy thing that by virtue of never talking about, we have no idea how to talk about. A week and a half after my mom died, we had a funeral for her in San Francisco, where she lived the latter years of her life. The next weekend, we had one in Chicago, where I was born and raised. 
And the following weekend, I was a groomsman in one of my best friend's weddings. It was my own shitty version of three weddings and a funeral. Before the actual wedding started, I was meandering around, trying to ignore the fact that my mother would never attend my own wedding, when another groomsman, who we'll call Ted for the sake of this story, came up to me and asked, Hey, how's it going? Now, that is a wonderfully vague question, and one I had no idea how to respond to. Do I tell him seeing the groom and his mom hug, and knowing that's a feeling I will never get again, is utterly gut-wrenching? And that seeing other people revel in carefree happiness makes me want to choke someone? You know, probably not, even though it was the honest answer. But probably a bit much to throw at Ted. So instead, I mustered, you know, fine. My mom just died, so dealing with that. Dear Teddy Boy, though, responded with, Oh yeah, I heard about that. We all missed you at the bachelor party. Anyway, I gotta go which is perhaps the most ridiculous response I've had in a conversation about the deaths of my parents. Like, if he knew she was dead, why would he start the conversation so casually with, how's it going? And then what was he expecting? That I would have said I bought a new couch and we would have discussed the pros and cons of suede for the next 20 minutes? I have no idea, but I was left standing there dumbfounded, thinking about how comically bad we are at talking about dying. I wasn't expecting Ted to offer to be my next therapist, but something a little bit more compassionate would have been appreciated. But it's not his fault. Again, if we never talk about dying, we can't be expected to talk about dying. Even I don't know how to talk about it a lot of the time. I think it would be hilarious if on one of those sorry for your loss cards, someone wrote happy birthday and then crossed it out and wrote shit wrong card. I don't want melancholy, but I want acknowledgement. That said, I'm kind of an asshole, and I know that's not for everyone. So instead, when I talk to people about the death they've experienced, I start with compassion, then navigate from there. And still, it's hard. As a single 26-year-old, I go on a lot of first dates. And let me tell you, I have not found the right way to bring up the whole dead parents thing. Do I hide it? Do I say it in the first five minutes, the first hour, the 17th date after the first time we've booked an Airbnb in Kokomo together? How do I deal with this thing that I think about incessantly, but I know can alienate other people? I don't know, but if you do have suggestions, I am all ears. The one thing I do know, though, is that we need to talk about it. Death and dying and grief and pain and joy and beauty. Our depictions of death are trash. It's a backstory. Bruce Wayne's parents die, and suddenly we have Batman. But it doesn't work like that. Trust me, I have tried. Dying is not just this depressing thing, but a holistic experience that we need to talk about. Because it's going to happen to all of us. And it's often funny, and it's often sweet, and the more we can talk about it, the more we can embrace it and have it be a rich part of our human experience that really brings us closer to our loved ones than we thought possible. My mom was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer about four years into my dad's terminal diagnosis, for which he was originally given six months to live. 
She'd originally gone into her primary care physician because her side felt tight, and that kicked off a several-week journey to discovering a 17-centimeter tumor on her liver and then ultimately diagnosing it as metastatic breast cancer. As a reference point, a 17-centimeter tumor is what most in the medical field would call fucking huge. It's the size of a Nerf football. There was no baseline for it, and at that point, the only option to help her was chemo to try and extend her life. But there was zero hope for any cure. The week we learned all this was filled with CT scans upon biopsies, upon appointments to review, upon second opinions, and so on. And every night, I would go back to her house, and she would somehow calmly make me dinner, and I would sit there trying my best to match her composure and shove my emotions back inside of me. And then I'd get back into my car to drive home and just collapse. I would turn on the radio, which was somehow always a depressing Louis Capaldi song, and just bawl. And every time, I'd flip open the mirror on the visor and just stare at myself and my tear-soaked eyes and think, like, why? Why why do I deserve this? I, I don't want my mom to go. Why? My mother made it her mission to die gracefully, to take everything as it came and find the joy where she could. I certainly didn't have that ability, but her calmness and ebullience, even in the face of such darkness, somehow got me through it. The process of her death started how I would have expected. She became progressively more tired. She lost weight. She didn't have as much energy. But underneath it all, she was still herself. We'd watch SNL on Sunday mornings and laugh. We'd go on short hikes. We'd get chocolate milkshakes and hamburgers because her diet had regressed to that of a four-year-old. It made sense. Until it went off the rails. A 17-centimeter tumor, again, is a big fucking tumor. And not only that, but the cancer had also spread to her brain. It spread to a point where no amount of radiation was going to solve it. So when you have a huge tumor on your liver, the thing which processes the nutrients that get to your brain, and tumors on your brain, your ability to think rapidly degrades. And in my mother's case, it meant she started hallucinating. On multiple occasions, my mom called me frantically because she thought she was dying. She'd forget my name or where she was or who the caregivers were. For the last two months of her life, I couldn't have more than a two-sentence conversation with her because as soon as I replied to whatever she said, She'd be on a new, entirely nonsensical topic. And I was just totally blindsided by all of it. I had no idea that forgetting my name or hallucinating or just her entire mental decline was the thing that happened. And the most gut-wrenchingly sweet moment was when I brought her a hamburger from the Burger Chain Five Guys one night, and she responded with, You do love me, don't you? which seemed tender, but also meant she'd regressed to a point that she'd forgotten who her son was and that I loved her unconditionally. Eventually, her hallucinations got to a point where she was constantly paranoid and perturbed, believing there were construction workers in the house at all times who were out to get her 
and that we needed to escape on a plane to Hawaii immediately. She was inconsolable, constantly trying to crawl over the steel bars of her hospital bed. And when I'd make up excuse upon excuse of why we couldn't take the next flight to Hawaii, she'd accuse me of being one of them, one of the construction workers. One night, as her hallucinations worsened, she again accused me of being one of them. Except this time, she asked me if I knew what I was doing to her. I gave a lifeless shrug, and she responded by pretending to take a knife and stab herself, saying, You're killing me, Bryce. I want to say I cried or was angry or had some emotional response, but I'm pretty sure I was just so exhausted that all I could say was, I'm sorry, Mom, and then walked out. I knew she wasn't my mom anymore, and so I played the one card I could. Palliative sedation, which is where you give someone a suppository that puts them into a comatose state, and they die within about seven days. My mom died the night the hospice nurse administered it. She was ready to go, and her pleading to go to Hawaii was the only way she knew to communicate that she was ready to leave this life and go on to whatever was next. Everything seemed brighter the day she died. The sky bluer, the trees greener, like she was at peace again, back on one of our hikes, back where she belonged. All right, I've said enough sad shit for a minute. Now, as we've discussed, we are really, really bad at dealing with death. And nowhere is this clearer than in the epitome of awkwardness that is a funeral home. My mom had chosen to be cremated and had the crematorium all picked out by the time she died. She died at about 5 a.m., which meant I had the pleasure of calling a funeral home at 5.30 a.m. and asking them to come pick up my dead mother. Never in my life have I been so sure I was speaking to a recorded message as that call. Hello, you've reached Walters and Sons Funeral Home. How may we help you today? It was such a lifeless voice that I'm not convinced the person on the other line hadn't slept in the morgue the night before and then didn't just pop up to take the phone call. It was bad, and things did not get less weird from there. Funeral homes are exactly as you'd imagine. Lots of beige, a mediocre player piano somewhere, flowers where you can't tell if they're alive or not. It's a fun place. The mortician the person you get to sort out the details of the burial or cremation with, is in the unenviable position of walking the line between being compassionate and being a used car salesman. My mortician, Bill, was very, very intent on getting me to buy a nicer urn. Are you sure you only want the base model? We've got a very nice selection on the wall to your left. The nice selection, however, were not bright or beautiful or artfully made. No, no. They were about as interesting as looking cardboard, and would have been depressing even for the Amish. So, given that I would be spreading her ashes, I opted for the base model. When it came time to sign the paperwork, Phil walked my uncle and I through the costs, and then came to the final price. $5,400. But, 
because it was their spring special. The total was actually $4,500. A steal. Now, because my mom had died four hours earlier and I wanted to do anything but be in a room where somehow no painting was level, I didn't give this any mind, paid as quickly as I could, and left. In retrospect, though, a spring cremation special is really, really weird. Like, what was the other option? She was going to die March 18th, but I'd get her to hang on for two more days to get that sweet, sweet deal? Or I wouldn't like their original price, and I'd then ask them to throw her body in the back of my Honda Fit so I could try my hand at the other funeral homes in the area? But again, because my mom had died four hours earlier, I said none of this, instead doing whatever I could to leave as quickly as I could. I came back the next day to pick up her ashes and realized I'd made one large mistake. I never asked what their base model urn looked like. I was expecting something in a banal white ceramic container. But oh no, when you get the base model, you get a purple plastic box full of 10 pounds of ash in a clear plastic bag. And the purple box, it comes in a purple velvet bag, which means I was carrying my dead mother out of a funeral home as if I was walking out of a liquor store with a bottle of Crown Royale. It was a classy event. My cousin's mom died about three months before mine, and I went to Seattle to attend her funeral. I was never particularly close with her, so I was expecting to be unaffected by the service. And yet, as soon as I walked in the door, I was inconsolable. I cried more than anyone else in the room, including my cousins, whose mother had died. I cried so much, I gave myself a headache from dehydration. And it was not that I had developed a sudden longing for my aunt, but rather that as I sat there watching the funeral service, all I could think of was my mom's. What would her death be like? What would the service be like? What would it be like planning it alone? Every anxiety I could have about it, I was having about it. And yet when my mom did die, and I spoke at her funeral in San Francisco, and then in Chicago, I didn't shed a single tear. And the same was true for my dad's. Ultimately, the thought of things happening and the anxieties around them is much worse for me than the things themselves. The hardest part of my parents being dead is when I dream about them. It's like those dreams where you have a house with 12 pools and then you wake up and you're on a futon, except instead of vividly seeing what it's like to jump off the diving board, I see my parents. I see my dad riding his bright yellow bike in a neon green jacket with a melon yellow helmet. And I see my mom tugging in vain to get our dog, Ralph, to come. I hear my dad's deep belly laugh and my mom saying she loves me. And then I wake up alone. And I have this agonizing dissonance between the one thing I want more than anything in this world that I can see so clearly I can feel and then the fact that no matter what I do, I will never get my parents back. And I'm terrified. I'm terrified of a wedding without my parents, of what I put down as my permanent address, of what I do for the holidays. 
of what the next 60 years of my life will be like without them. And then I remember that the thought of things is worse than the thing itself. And that I'm not getting married today or living the next 60 years of my life today. I'm living today, today. And so I put on some Bruce Springsteen, just like my mom would have wanted. I force myself out of bed. And I do my best to take it one day at a time and look for the brighter green trees. Thank you for listening to this, the first episode of Plastic Urns. Thank you to Brian Pedersen for the support and crushing the sound engineering, and to Coco Brudden for all of the original music. Get stoked for next episode, where we talk with Heather about organ donation, pre-planned funeral plots, and what happens when those father-daughter wedding dance plans fall through. Make sure to tell your friends about us, do cool things, and if you liked it, give us a review wherever you listen. Thanks. (laughs) 